Um, we are going to be looking at the parable of the, or not parable rather, but the feeding of the 5,000 today. And right off the bat, you know this is significant because it occurs in all four of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's not very common. And so right away, we know this is a big deal because all four have this. But before we begin, we'll be looking at the account in Mark, um, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for how you provide for us. We thank you for what you promise us. We thank you for who you promise to be and that you are unchanging. And there is such strength and comfort in that. Thank you that you have, you have identified us as yours, that you have adopted us, that you have called us conquerors and co-heirs with Jesus. What joy should permeate from our lives because of that. And so now, God, as we open your word, as we begin to study your word, we ask that you would teach us. Last week, we looked at that understanding is a gift from you. And Lord, today we ask for understanding. We thank you that you make that available to us, that you open our eyes to see that we can learn from your word. And that's what we're seeking today, God. We want to know you more. We want to know you deeper. We want to love you deeper. We want to we want to go further in our relationship with you so that we can look like Christ to this world. So please, God, lead this time. Lead this time in the words that come out of my mouth. May they be your words. Lead this time for the ears of the people here that they would hear with your spirit that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll be in Mark. We'll be in Mark 6 specifically as we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and again, it, it's in the other three. I encourage you, anytime where we look at just one section, one Gospels version of it, go and read the other ones on your own to see the similarities, to see maybe what differences. In this case, there aren't a whole lot of differences, which is why we're focusing primarily on Mark 6. But it'll be Mark 6 starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is, this is such a great story. 
There is so much to unpack in this. And one of the things I want to point out very quickly, I've said throughout the series, I've said throughout really all the sermons that we've done, that you see threads woven throughout Scripture because Scripture is one unified, cohesive record. And so just real quick, uh, memory time. What was the very first sermon series we did back in January and February? Most famous psalm in the Bible. 23, there we go. What, what was, what's, what's in the first part of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down on green pastures. What do we see here in this account of Jesus interacting with the crowds? Verse 34, Jesus had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And in verse 39, he says, so sit down in groups on the green grass in the pastures. I just, I love, I love the details like that. I love seeing the details like that throughout scripture. So that really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the message other than when I was reading it this week, I was like, man, that makes me think, think, think of Psalm 23. That's pretty cool. But when you're looking at this account, the first thing that we see is we see the disciples try and avoid the situation. What's happening? Jesus has been teaching. The crowds have come out. The hour's getting late. The disciples are looking forward. And they're like, okay, we're getting close to mealtime. We can't possibly provide for all these people. You know what? We can avoid this. We can duck this whole issue if Jesus, if you just send these people away, this won't be our problem. We won't have to deal with this if you can just make them leave now. And they're not disobeying. We're, we're not trying to throw the disciples under the bus here. Jesus hadn't given them a command, right? Throughout Scripture, we see examples of God giving commands to people and people directly disobeying. That's not what's going on here. The disciples are just trying to duck the issue because they don't want to deal with the headache of it. And even in that detail, in that small introduction, in that small beginning to this story, it makes me wonder, isn't that true of us sometimes? I think the American church has frequently been guilty of... That's a messy situation. We can't quite figure out the logistics of, let's just try and go around it and just avoid it. And this is what the disciples are trying to do. And so what I want us to be willing to ask ourselves is, are there situations in our own life that maybe we're not disobeying, so we kind of allow ourselves to feel good about it, right? Like, I'm not directly disobeying God, but I really don't like that coworker, and they're very difficult, so I'm going to witness to everyone but him. And I'll just, I'll just kind of skirt the issue because that one neighbor, they're not the best neighbor. So I'll just, I'll duck around and I'll focus on these neighbors who I like. There's not disobedience, but is there really a heart of love and compassion if you're trying to get around things just because it seems, one of the themes we'll look at is this seems insurmountable in the minds of the disciples but they need a different perspective that Jesus demonstrates for them. So the first question as we look at this story is, and this is just simple self-reflection, are there things in our own life, are there people in our own life that we'd rather just avoid than try and handle? That we'd rather, you know what, Jesus, just, just send them away and we won't have to think about that. That can be someone else's problem. Because what we see in Jesus' response is that that's not how he works. And I, I absolutely love this. Because this is, again, this is a theme of God interacting with his people throughout Scripture. And it just makes me think of, there are so many times in the Bible where I imagine that if I was in the crowd and I heard God give this command, I'd be like, huh? 
And again, I mean, this goes back to the Old Testament, right? Joshua and the Israelites, they're faced with this massive city of Jericho. And they're like, okay, we've been on the war path. We've been fighting. We're, we're good at this. We know what we're doing. And then Joshua comes up and he's like, yeah, God said that we're going to go walk around the city with trumpets. What? Trumpets and sword. Nope, nope, we're just going with trumpets. And we're going to sing, and then we're going to yell really loudly. Huh? And then Jesus comes to the apostles, and he says, hey, you've been fishing all day. Let down your nets. And what's Peter say? Peter says, uh, this, this, is, this is my job. This is what I do all day long. I, I know what I'm doing. Jesus says, no, no, let down your nets. And, I mean, I love, Peter even says, to humor him, Peter says, okay, we know what we're doing, but because you said so, we'll let down our nets. You know in Peter's mind, he's thinking, what? Come on. And now here, what did the disciples say? The disciples say, I love Jesus' response. Actually, if you look, it's not in Mark, but if you look in my account in Matthew, I just wrote ha next to what Jesus says. Because the disciples say, hey, Jesus, send these people away so that they can fend for themselves, so that they can figure this out, so we don't have to worry about it. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. I think that, I, honestly, I think that's hilarious. Only because I'm not the one that Jesus told to do that. But I think it's funny that Jesus' immediate reaction is the disciples are like, hey, we can just skirt this whole issue because we don't want to think about it because it seems too difficult for us. We can't rationalize our way through this, so let's just duck it. And Jesus says, nope, you feed them. You have to imagine the disciples are like, huh? And what's great is they start to try and rationalize their way through this. They start to, they, they point out, it says, okay, it would take how much denarii to feed all these people and that amount, that 200 denarii worth of food, that's eight months wages. So they're starting to try and rationalize through this, like how in the world are we, that would require, okay, eight months worth of money. We don't have that kind of money. They're starting to try and work their way because Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, what? what? They're still thinking about the human logistics of it. And that's what we come to. Again, something we see throughout scripture is that when we're presented with these huge obstacles, so it starts with, I have an obstacle in front of me, I'd rather just avoid it. Jesus says, no, you don't get to avoid it. So then I start to think through, okay, so in my finite understanding, how can I approach this obstacle? What, what perspective do I need to take? How can I figure out this problem? How can I solve this issue? And again, this is something we th see throughout Scripture. In 2 Kings 6.15, this is Elijah, and he's in a city that's surrounded by the enemy army. And Elijah's servant wakes up. 2 Kings 6.15, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What did the servant say? The servant didn't say, What shall God do? The servant sees this problem. The disciples see this problem. And the servant says, Master, what shall we do? The disciples see this problem of the crowd, and Jesus has said, you feed them. And the disciples start to think through, okay, everybody turn out your pockets. Uh, I've got 20 bucks. John, how much do you have? We can't afford this. What shall we do? Numbers 13, 25 to 31. The spies have been sent out into the land of Cana that God has promised to the Israelites. And the spies have gone out and they've, they've gone through the land and they've looked at what's been promised and they've looked at the people who are there and they return to the Israelites. And this is the report that the spies give to the people of Israel, starting in verse 25. 
At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. This has been promised to us, but we can't get our eyes past the obstacle that's in front of us. And Caleb tries. Caleb tries to raise his voice up against this. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Caleb tries. Caleb tries to say, No, 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 no. Take your mind off the obstacle. Take your eyes off the obstacle. We were promised this. God is with us. We are able to overcome this. And the rest of the spies shout him down because they can't get their eyes off the obstacle that's in front of them. It's the same thing with these apostles here. They are so focused on the obstacle that they're asking the question of, what can we do about this? And the funny thing is, they're kind of right. They're right to a degree. Because all that they had on their own wasn't enough. Jesus says, Jesus is trying to coach them along. They say, what can we do about this? And Jesus says, go and see. Go and see how much food you have. And they come back and they say, okay, we've got five loaves and two fish. This is all we have. And it even says, what do they say? They say, we have five loaves and two fish, but what is that for so many? See, they're looking at the obstacle and they're looking at what they are bringing to it. And they're saying, uh-uh, this doesn't line up. We have this, but it's too small. All we have is five loaves and two fish. What are they for so many? And they're right. On their own, they're doomed. They're not going to feed those people. We read this verse last week as well, Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So there's absolutely truth in acknowledging that what we have on our own is not enough. Who we are on our own is not enough. Who I am on my own would never be enough to get into heaven. What I have on my own is not going to be enough to shepherd this flock. It's just not going to be. They're right. But the problem is they stop there. And I'm calling this the Eeyore perspective. Because what's Eeyore known for? Thanks for noticing me. Right? You go into the worst case mind. Well, you even acknowledged I exist. All I have is this. And that's what the disciples are doing here. I mean, you can hear Eeyore in their words. Well, we've got five loaves and fish, but what is that? It's not enough. And guys, the Eeyore perspective has done so much damage in the church today. Well, all we have is this. And the phrase that is, mm, all right, if even one person nods, I'm going for it. Do I have your permission to be very honest? There we go, we got one nod. The phrase that makes me so angry that I want to flip things and throw a chair through a window. 
I mean, please don't ever let me hear you say this because I will call you out. I'm telling you right now, I will call you out on the spot. Don't ever let me hear you say, well, all we can do now is pray. We've tried everything else. We gave it our best shot. We're stuck with prayer. And you hear this in the church all the time. You see this attitude in the church all the time. Well, I mean, goodness, have you seen the economic problem in the neighborhood surrounding us? We can't, we can't address that. All we have is this. Well, all we can do now is pray. Are you kidding me? That's, that's humiliating. Of all the things that the American church has done, that's got to be the most embarrassing thing that we have allowed ourselves to say, all we can do now is pray. So you're telling me that all we can do now is go before the throne of the Almighty God who has adopted us into His family, who has called us conquerors and co-heirs. Scripture says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working. And we say, all we can do now is pray. I mean, I want to break something when I hear people say that. That is utterly humiliating that we have allowed that perspective to jeopardize our witness because we think things like that. And you know what? It's dangerously easy to think things like that. This week, here is what this week looked like in this building. We got a hole in the parking lot. We've got no electricity. We've got no heat. We've got plumbing issues. All we have are five loaves and two fish. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this was the week that all that went wrong with the building that I'm prepping for this message. Because I'm going to be honest with you guys. We don't have the biggest building in this area. We don't have the newest building in this area. We don't have the biggest congregation in this area. There are churches this morning with way more people in the seats than right now. We don't have the biggest budget in this area. We don't have the most experienced pastoral staff in this area. There are pastoral staffs with 40, 50, 60 years of experience. I will die before I let this body say, well, all we have is five loaves and two fish. Because that's the Eeyore perspective. That's where the apostles fell short, is they acknowledged that what they had on their own wasn't enough. And they're right. And on our own, we're not enough. We never will be. But the beautiful thing is, we were never meant to be enough on our own. Because who we are without Jesus, definitely not enough. Who we are plus Jesus, more than enough. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. You guys got to know it by now. I cite this probably every other week. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. This church was never meant to be us on our own. You were never meant to be parents on your own. You were never meant to be spouses on your own. You were never meant to be members of a church body on your own because on your own, you are not enough and you never will be. You plus Jesus, that's more than enough because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our building. It's not about our budget. It's about bringing. I love in the other accounts of the Gospels, that's the one detail that Mark doesn't include. In the other accounts of this in the Gospels, they talk about that it was a young boy who brought his food. Because only a child could have that kind of optimism. An, adult, an adult's going to sit there and look at the crowd and say, I've got one ham sandwich in my bag. 
I'm gonna look like an idiot if I hold it up. That'd be embarrassing. A kid's like, yeah, you wanna feed 5,000 men plus another 5,000 women? I mean, if you look at biblical scholars, they estimate that the crowd was probably closer to 12,000 people when you look at how they counted people in that time. And the kid's like, yeah, five loaves and two fishes, let's go, let's feed the masses. You can have it. That's what this story is about. That's what the Christian life is about. Not bringing enough to God on our own, but saying, God, this is all I have, it's yours. Because I know you can do immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine, according to your power. That's what we see in the five loaves and fishes. And I love when you talk about abundance, you talk about more than enough. I use the phrase that all we have in our plus Jesus is more than enough. What does it say at the end? They filled up 12 basketfuls with the leftovers. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Malachi, Jesus says to the people, bring what I am owed into the storehouse and see if I don't pour out on you so much that you cannot contain it. We were never meant to do this on our own. And guys, there are days where I feel like all I'm offering is five loaves and two fishes to try and feed 12,000 people. And then I read this and I remember that it's not about what I'm offering. It's about the fact that I'm offering it to God entirely. Lord, you do what only you can do. The church that gets this, and I'm not just talking about a, a body. I'm talking about the American church. When the church gets this, when the church understands that we are not meant to be enough on our own, that we are meant to bring what we have before the Father and give it to Him entirely and eagerly, awaiting to see what He does that only He can do. When the church gets this, you better get ready for some awesome stuff. Because when God does what only he can do, it's incredible. And I love the details. What happens here? Jesus took five loaves and two fishes, and he made it into more than enough for these people. Jesus took the army of Gideon, and he said, this is too much. I need to bring it down to be too little so that you see my power. It's the same thing. God took too much and made it too small so that you would see the glory of the Lord. Jesus took too little and he made it into more than enough so that you would see the glory of the Lord. God does new things and it's incredible to see him working if we will just bring him our five loaves and two fishes and say they're yours. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not trying to do this on my own. God, it's yours. Do with it what you can do. And it's awesome to see. The Bible doesn't record it. This is totally hypothetical. I love imagining what that conversation was with the apostles after they got done collecting all the leftovers. Right? Like, I just, I don't know. I just, I like thinking through, like, well, if I were an apostle, how would I have react? Like, if I were the apostle who was like, five loaves and two fishes, what are they for so many? Like, I'm avoiding eye contact when we're done collecting the leftovers, right? Like, please nobody remind me of what I said right? Because they got to see God work. They got to see what happens when someone brings their all to the Lord and gives it to them without reservation. And one of the beautiful parts of this story, the last half of this, I want to look at the parallels of brokenness. Because one of the verses, some of the descriptions in this story are incredibly similar to the descriptions of Jesus at the Last Supper. There's a parallel theme of brokenness throughout Scripture. 
And I want us to consider what happens when brokenness encounters God. What happens when God breaks? When God breaks something, what happens? Mark 6, 41, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. That phrase, set a blessing, is literally to extol praise. So he wasn't saying, okay, bless this bread, please make it multiply. He was praising God and thanking God for providing. If you overheard that prayer, isn't there a part of you? Let's be honest. Isn't there a part of you? Right? Okay, even we don't even have 5,000, we don't have 12,000 people here, right? But if I held up one ham sandwich and I said, Lord, thank you for this ham sandwich that is going to feed all these people, isn't there a part of you that would be like, Sam severely underestimates how much I eat. Jesus, Jesus holds up these five loaves and two fishes and he thanks the Lord for providing this. He blesses God for his provisions and then he breaks the bread and the miraculous happens. The Last Supper, Mark 14, 22, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Isaiah 53, 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was broken. In each of these situations, you see a parallel of human inability setting the stage for God to do the miraculous. We could not die on that cross and save all of mankind. I cannot earn my own way into heaven. Jesus was broken so that my human inability would yield to God's grace and power. In the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples were in their human ability unable to provide for the people. So Jesus blessed and Jesus broke and the miraculous happened. Do you see the parallels? Do you see what happens when God uses broken things? When God breaks down, when, this, when, when our own capacity, or rather lack of, sets the stage for God to do what only He can do. It's incredible to see God use brokenness. And again, this is something we see throughout Scripture. This idea of brokenness. I was so excited when I came in this morning and Matt read from Psalm 51. Listen to Psalm 51. We're going to read verse 7 that Matt also read, but then we're going to read the next verse, and we're going to also read verse 17. Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. This psalm was written by David after Nathan confronted him for the whole Bathsheba incident. So David blows it big time. David forces someone to sleep with him, gets her pregnant, kills her husband to cover it up. Nathan confronts him, and David writes this psalm. David writes, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And then later on, verse 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And a verse that I love that I would encourage you all to memorize, Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Fallow ground is unproductive. 
it's ground that's serving no point. Nothing is growing in it. It's not producing any fruit. What does Hosea say? He says, break up the fallow ground so that God may come and rain righteousness upon you. Broken so that God can do what only God can do. I can't help but wonder if this year has not been the Holy Spirit coming through like a rototiller of righteousness. Has the church needed its fallow ground to be broken up? If you've ever broken up fallow ground, we have garden beds at our house, you know, and they sit dormant through the winter, and then when you go out in the spring and it's time for planting again, there's kind of that hard crust that's formed at the top. you got the weeds coming out. It's pointless, right? You're not going to be able to grow what you want to in that until you attack it, until you break it up, until you tear it up, until you get down to the good soil, you get rid of the bad. Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. I really feel like this has been a year where it's church, break up your fallow ground. You've allowed the ground to get so hard and unfruitful. You've gotten so used to how things were that there's a crust on top. You've got to break up that fallow ground. We've got to prepare. We've got to, we've got to get our hearts right before the Lord so that He can come and reign righteousness, so that He can do what only He can do. I, I believe that's where the church is, where the American church is, where this church is. We are at a crossroads. And we've already seen, as we start to come out of this year, and I know there are peaks, but as we start to come out of this year, I think of how much of the conversation in April and May was, wow, this is really nice. You know what? I hated it at first, but it's really nice not being so busy. We've really enjoyed all this extra family time. Wow, I'm really learning a lot of valuable lessons in being forced to slow down. I'm, I'm really learning a lot. This has been good. And guess what? The moment things started to open back up, the moment we had the opportunity to start overfilling our schedule again, we went right back to it. All the lessons that we were claiming to have learned in April and May, we've abandoned most of them. I think we're at a critical junction. Are we going to return to how things were? Or are we going to break up our fallow ground so that God can come and rain righteousness down? Are we going to break up our fallow ground because it is time to seek the Lord? Are we going to stop saying things like, well, all we can do is pray? Or are we going to realize that prayer is powerful? That we will not be people who pray. We will be a church built on prayer. That our families will be built on prayer. That we will stop saying, well, all I can offer is this. And we will say, yeah, Lord, I've got five loaves and two fishes. They're yours. Blow my mind. Because I'm giving it all to you without reservation. Feed the 5,000. Do what only you can do so that you get the glory. Because if the disciples had provided for those people, if Jesus would have said, no, you feed them. And they were like, okay, well, we can pool our money and we'll start a campfire and we'll roast a couple goats. Yep, people are fed. Is there anything miraculous about that? Is there, I mean, where's room for Jesus? Is there any reason for the people to come away from that praising God? 
Jesus says to people, hey, you feed the 5,000, and 12 guys feed the 5,000. All right, cool, so there was a picnic. But when Jesus says, no, you feed them, and they say, Lord, Lord, are you kidding me? We've got, we've got five loaves and two fish. Jesus says, okay, let me show you what I can do. Then you see God. Church, it's time. We are long past overdue to break up fallow ground, to seek the Lord with our whole heart, to pray like we mean it, to worship like we mean it, to give like we mean it, to serve like we mean it, to love like we mean it. I, I, I truly believe we are at critical mass, tipping point, whatever. I, don't, I did terrible in science. I don't know if that's a real phrase. But we're teetering on the edge. And we're either going to return to how things were or we're going to say, yeah, it's time. Lord, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, break up that fallow ground that's in me. I give you my all without reservation. It's yours. We saw this young boy open up or offer up five loaves and two fish, and we saw what happens when God does what only God can do. So my challenge for you this week is read Psalm 51 and read Hosea 10:12. Every day read Psalm 51 and Hosea 10:12 and ask, do I have fallow ground in my life? Not do I have fallow ground in my life? What's fallow ground in my life? What is that unfruitful plot of soil that's doing nothing? What am I holding on to? What am I desperately clinging to that nothing is growing there because of it? And then the prayer is simple. Lord, teach me to offer you all I have eagerly. Teach me to give you my five loaves and two fish without reservation. Teach me to bring it forward to you joyfully. And Lord, break me for your glory. Jesus broke the bread and fed the masses. Jesus' body was broken and the masses were forgiven and grace and salvation was provided. What would happen if we allowed God to break us? I mean, what would happen if this was a church of people who allowed God to break us entirely. As, J as David said, let these broken bones rejoice. The bones that you have broken, let them rejoice. Imagine what a church that offers itself fully to God and allows him to break them. Imagine what he could do. Now remember Ephesians 3, that he can do immeasurably more than that. Please let us be that church. Join me in prayer. Lord, as you work, it's incredible. God, I, I think of how many prayers you have answered this year for this body alone. You have been so faithful to us this year. You have been so gracious and so kind and so merciful to us. I have my wildest dreams for what this church might look like. And it is so humbling to realize that you can do immeasurably more than that. God, I ask that you would do what only you can do. 
What we have on our own is not enough. It never will be. I will never be enough of a leader on my own. Our elders will never be enough. Our worship team will never be enough. These people are not enough on our own. We freely and fully admit that. But God, thank you that that's not how it's intended to be. Because if I was left on my own, I would have never signed up for this. I want to be in places where people look at what's going on and they say, well, clearly that's not Sam. God's got to be there. I want this church, I want people to look at this church and say, okay, I know them. They're not doing that on their own. Clearly God is there. Why are we afraid of that? Why are we afraid of going beyond what we think we can do on our own? Why, why are we so afraid to offer you our five loaves and fishes? Lord, why do we say things like all we can do is pray? Forgive us. Lord, please forgive us. Please break up our fallow ground. Destroy us entirely. Break these bones that you may sow your righteousness, that you can do what only you can do. We want to see that. So Lord, we offer you all we have. We offer you everything. Use it for your glory, that your name would be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. As we begin this last song, if you want to join in, by all means join in. But if you need to, take time where you are and ask, have I allowed the Lord to break me? Or am I desperately clinging to fallow ground, unwilling to yield, unwilling to be broken for His glory?